This program deals with themes of an adult nature and is intended for a mature audience. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. We must guard against the military-industrial complex. Exopolitics, paranormal phenomena, and deep analysis of current world events. From somewhere in the desert, between Area 51 and Roswell, blasting across the planet, the Manticore Network proudly presents Fairy Tales. Because the truth will set you free. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! The power they took from the people will return to the people. And so long as men die, liberty will never perish. Soldiers, don't fight for slavery, fight for liberty! The only thing we have to fear is fear itself! Sooner or later, though. You always have to wake up. Be skeptical, but don't close your mind. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas, where we uncover the truth, one guest at a time. For those who dare to seek, Veritas is the place where they shall find. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, make yourself at home. I want to thank all our members. As always, you are keeping Veritas alive. Tonight's special guest is Wayne Herschel, directly from South Africa. The hidden records. How and who built the pyramids? What is their purpose? Wayne Herschel will be with us shortly. To listen to the complete version of this and all our past and future shows, become a member. You'll receive immediate access to all our inventory of shows, the Veritas private chat room, and the popular Manticore forum. Just head on over to our website, VeritasShow.com, click on subscribe, and take Veritas with you immediately. And here's something interesting that I would like to share with you. Today, as I was doing some future financial planning, I created some formulas that would determine a specific date when I could fully separate myself from my business responsibilities in order to fully devote my professional time to Veritas. 
As most of you know, I have other responsibilities, aside from Veritas. And of course, none bring more satisfaction than being here with you. That said, you won't believe the date the formula came up with. Are you ready? December 21st, 2012. The formula is based on several variables and projections based on past, present, and future estimates. What are the chances that the date will be one that we discuss here so much? Many say it's the dawn of a new age, or we should remove the shackles of the current paradigm. Even more interesting is the fact that I had named the column for that date Freedom Goal. Freedom from the trivial aspects of business life. Of course, that projection could be pushed back or forward, depending on how the show goes. But on the first estimation, that peculiar date showed up. As long as you continue supporting this effort, I hope to continue doing this beyond December 21st, 2012. I thought you'd find this interesting. And don't forget, we are still selling the 8GB brushed metal-cased USB drive containing all of Season 1 and a lot of bonus material. Bonus material, you ask? Check it out. Go to the website VeritasShow.com and click on the Veritas Store. You will see how we filled this futuristic device to the limit. If you need to get in touch with me, go to our website VeritasShow.com and click on the Contact button or on Facebook. And now, get ready for compelling evidence of the discovery of 12 forgotten ancient star maps left behind by virtually all the ancient civilizations, suggesting that we have never been alone in the universe and that our ancestors arrived from another star system and replaced the Neanderthal hominid. This Earth has been invaded and Neanderthal didn't stand a chance. Find out why his book has endured sabotage and book trading interference from an advanced group for the last six years. With no commercials and no censorship, Wayne Herschel is coming up next. If you want to believe, stop this audio now. If you want to know, don't go anywhere. This is Mel Fabregas, and you are listening to Veritas. John Perkins, and you're listening to Veritas. Wayne Herschel was born in Bulawayo, Southern Africa, now living in Cape Town, South Africa, has always had a passion for the unexplained. Two critical life experiences, one a mass UFO sighting, the other a near-death experience. These two life-changing events were determining factors 
for a research basis that would be very different to that of academics. He believes in his near-death experience he came back with a lot more than he left with. His investigation into subjects like astronomy, the pyramids, and ancient paranormal events would culminate in an unrelenting quest for knowledge about humanity's origins. Wayne Herschel is the author of The Hidden Records, The Star of the Gods, a book so controversial that it was denied publication for three years. The book has endured a sabotage and book trading interference from an advanced group for the last six years. Wayne's two decades of research reveals that all 50 pyramids of Lower Egypt actually represent a star map, and this theme is repeated across the globe in many sacred sites. But the most amazing thing among those sacred sites are included Stonehenge, Rome, the Vatican, and Washington, D.C. And all of these reveal a secret about the start of the East and its connection to Freemasonry. And there is a connection to the tradition of the Christmas tree. Get ready for a new mental download. And directly from Cape Town, South Africa, I would like to welcome for the first time on Veritas, Wayne Herschel. Hello, Wayne, and welcome to Veritas. How are you? Hi, good to be here. Thanks. My pleasure. And before I ask you for additional background, Wayne, of who you are and how you got to research all of these topics, tell us more about this sabotage you have experienced with your book. And why do you think a certain group doesn't want this knowledge out? What's the grand secret that could cause this? Yeah, it's a long story. But to try and summarize, I would say it's changing from one distributor to another distributor to another. Each time I have my book set up with an international distributor, something goes wrong. Things along the lines of um, uh, the uh, Internet listings being deleted happening on like a monthly basis, the book being listed incorrectly and, and just not getting to the stores. And the latest episode is um, the whole distributor has gone missing with two tons of my books and I'm still trying to trace them. So it's been going on like this for quite a long time. And I think the biggest problem with uh, the story, um, I only realized it, I think it was about, uh, about two months after it aired on a local TV program. I was doing some talks in Durban in, in South Africa, and I was visited by two very interesting gentlemen at the end of my talk, and they introduced themselves as uh, people of, of the Brotherhood, and um, did they, did, did they, said, they said to me, did I realize that um, I have stumbled upon the foundation of their, their greatest treasures, their greatest secrets, and I said, well, uh, how do you mean by that? And he said, well, if you didn't know, um, there's a university that's released a, a, an ancient document, our founding first-degree tracing board, and um, go and have a look at it, and then uh, uh, we'll, we'll chat to you the next time we see you. And, uh, yeah, so basically um, re-meeting again, seeing that it's the same star pattern, I realized, uh, you know, this is, this is a, not, a, not a coincidence. They are the same thing. And um, I found it differently. I found it fairly and squarely. And um, they, they kind of showed me a way ahead. And it was from there that I knew I must tread very carefully with this. So these two people, I mean, were they, would you surmise they were friendly? Or were they just uh, basically warning you? Okay. No, they, well, both of them, actually, um, they, they came to see me under their own steam. They um, flew over, obviously, from overseas and uh, wanted to see what I was going to do with it and what were my intentions and how was I going to track ahead with it. 
I think the biggest issue was they felt that this was something they didn't even know. And, and these guys were, were really both very high levels. One was definitely from the Scottish right in the highest order. And he said, um, you know, basically we, we found that uh, the, the general sort of uh, Freemasonry lodge brotherhood from one lodge to another differs very, very vastly. And uh, some feel this is important information that they weren't even shown. And it's, it's evolved. It's actually taken a while. And uh, he thought that at that time there was no other lodge that knew exactly the, the deciphered uh, solution that I came up with. They were following Orion. It's the three stars of Orion in a certain direction. And it seems from perhaps even as long ago as uh, George Washington, they were going the opposite direction and targeting a different star completely. So they were saying, look, it's, it's, it's lost knowledge. You're doing it differently, but just be aware that there'll be some lodges that will look at this differently, and they won't uh, feel as excited as we are that it's, it's something really human uplifting, etc." They said, you know, they might feel that I've stolen something, and, uh, well, everything went wrong. And <laughs> it wasn't just the book that went wrong. It was my Internet sites being hacked, um, things going wrong when I did really big promotions overseas. So it's just a long story. And just to, to let the, the listening audience know, I wasn't going to mention this, but it's a sunny day in the desert in the studio, outside the studio. And about 15, 20 minutes before the interview started, the lights went out. They came back shortly after. But then the internet went down. And this is how we communicate and this is how we do a lot of our production and luckily i was able to get a an alternative line to be able to conduct the interview so something tells me that a lot of the information that you'll be discussing with us tonight is something that a lot of people are not familiar with and you are not trained by academia which to me says something very positive uh, wayne because a lot of the information that comes from academia could have been, let's not, let's not say censored, but could we say filtered? And also, before we start, I read a, an article that you wrote for CNN entitled Author Claims to Identify UFO on 3,000-Year-Old Egyptian Papyrus. Can you please explain? Yeah, sure. Um, I've been holding on to this for quite a while now because um, having found a definite path that this was the uh, the ancient's way of telling a story. I mean, historians have always said that the Egyptians had this weird uh, mumbo-jumbo religion, and they, they were lost people. It was a cult. They worshipped gods that sailed down from the stars. You know, they really um, were lost people, and this was some strange belief that they'd fantasized. And the whole thing is that, you know, they were pretty much telling how it was. The Sumerians told the same story. So did the Olmecs. And I just kept digging deeper, looking for the smoking gun. I wanted to find something in the old records that show what the, the ship of Ra looks like, something more than a bark or a, a boat of the water. It would be something very unique. And it's just a lot of time and a lot of looking. And I just picked up the bo a book one day. It was an old book, and it had this funerary papyrus on it, and there it was. And I've, I've now put it on a CNN report, and I'm trying to spread it like, like viral on the uh, Internet, of course. And this has been bombarded from the first uh, few days that it was on. The picture was censored. Then the account was hacked and the um, uh, access for, for me to interact with it was blocked. And I wrote to the CNN folks and um, they managed to put it back on again. But this particular um, page, I had to reset up another account to interact with it. But the people at CNN, thank goodness, very decent folk, they've, they've uh, allowed it all to be visible. 
And there's some moderators watching it now, but I can guarantee there's going to be more problems there. Why do you think? What is so significant that may be jeopardizing somebody's plans that they want this information blocked from the public, Wayne? Yeah, the whole reason is what, what, is, what are they hiding? What is anybody yes. hiding? And um, I want to say this right now, and I'm going to say my way ahead from here forward, because I know the folks will be listening that are not interested in my, my story, that want to cover it up, etc. I would like to say quite simply, I will follow along with a respectful path, showing that I found this freely. It's human uplifting. I will always show respect to any kind of society. I don't want to go a negative running one down and saying these are the people that are against me. You know, it's bigger than the Freemasons. I'm pretty sure, you know, after speaking to these, these two guys from the Scottish Rite, they said, look, this, this whole story and this, um, this ancient story is actually going much deeper into all different uh, religions and to different societies because they all had the same information. It's a higher group. It's actually something much bigger that's hiding it. It's, I would use the definition of the word elite. People of very high power, high wealth, and these are the folks that perhaps don't want this information out. And you're going to laugh when I tell you how silly this, this big secret is because when the, the whole motive behind it is this secret explains that every single race, creed, and religion on this planet is equal. Such a simple little thing like that because they all had the star map. They all revered their ancestors that came from the sky. That means that every single lineage is tied in with this sacred star. It's not one chosen race. It's the whole human race. That's one aspect of it. The second aspect of it is the details that these people from the sky, these visitors that we could call angels, call them aliens, call them what you want, they were teaching humanity about very high moral human rights and things that uplift humanity, things like free education, um, you know, the basic sort of things that we would expect as common decency today. And with, with people finding out the secret, you'll see it will start creating peace and stability. And here's the second part. I think the elite of the world today do not see peace and stability as profitable. I don't think that it's in their best interest if, if, uh, if humans start working together and finding their ways with high respect and morals and whatever. It, it's probably more profitable to have war and who knows what else. So, you know, that's Disease. as simple as it is, and people are going to laugh at it. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, no, I'm just saying that uh, it's a world, of du a world of duality where we need, in order to have peace, we have to have war. In order to have cures, we have to have disease, etc., well, that's the kind of uh, traditional belief, but you know, there is a simple way. We don't need to have war. Um, I had this weird experience, which we'll talk about a bit later, that um, let's call it a paranormal event where I was allowed to see how things could be if it was done properly. And, you know, it's just such simple things, how every human life with free education, just that simple little change in humanity, developing countries with free education, because we're in the computer age now. You can get a full download of any subject uh, and taught in the most amazing way that any, any scholar, any child would want to learn because it's, it's so well presented with a level of entertainment. Um, you'll, you'll have people building the economy, building up a society and, and being motivated. And, and every child would have that, that, uh, that human gift. So, you know, once that happens, it'll be a huge change. And, uh, you know, you'll have a world perhaps without, without conflict and war. Absolutely. And on the article, you also state that the Egyptians worshipped a sun, but it, it was not our sun. Please explain. Sure. Um, it's, it's tradition to believe that these crazy Egyptians 
were uh, fantasizing about gods that came from the stars that were human-looking but had these strange faces or bird-like heads. I think they were wearing helmets and all kinds of weird things that the ancients would interpret as deified animals. But the most important thing was the sun worship aspect of all of the northern hemisphere beginnings of ancient civilizations. It's been confused, I think, over the ages because it started off with being another sun, another sun-like star system that is associated in these records, showing it's a star of of the star visitors. For example, the uh, Ra, Egyptian god, is the most highest of deities. He is... Uh, associated with another star that's a very small dot with a circle around it. This is what you know. Dan Brown based his, his new book on this symbol being lost. It is the sun. It represents a sun uh, object in the heavens, but it's not our sun. It's something that's much further away in deep space in the area near what the Egyptians refer to as the, the leg of the bull constellation, a definite constellation in the shape of a leg of the bull of Taurus, the Pleiades. And you know, all these breakthroughs that I made um, all showed a lot more consistency with following what the ancients were saying. So that's, that's the basis of, I think, where it started. It was sun-like star worship, star worship that was like a sun. And over time, the ancients seemed to get confused and, and started worshiping our sun. And before we start with your background, I want to ask you, and I want to get uh, this question over with right at the beginning of the show. Do you believe you have seen that this world is facing a major E-L-E-E, an Earth Life Extension event, an ELE. Right at the beginning of the show, let's get this out of the way. Please elaborate on what you've seen. In my near-death experience, um, this is where I think it's, it all began. I, um, I believe that I, I had an interaction with the nucleus of the universe, and it looks like an amazing cosmic tree. And in this experience, I uh, realized what it was, and it's kind of allowed me to go more into into what I wanted to know. It seemed like it, it could sense that I wanted to do something with finding out important information. And um, the first thing you realize is this is where our souls come from. And uh, by realizing that, you know that this is the creation. This is the God, deity, ultimate place in the universe. It sounds really hard to, to digest, especially people that are religious hearing this. They're going to think, what the heck? But this is it. This looks like a cosmic tree, and that's uh, what I interacted with. And it looks like a big serpent um, portion of it, like a plasma ribbon that comes from it, and you can interact with it. And it's like a cobra coming at you. It's, it's uh, the proverbial cosmic serpent, and uh, souls travel down these cosmic serpents through the universe. I think even ETs use these um, tubes, wormholes, call them what you like. They're all the same thing. It's all part of this cosmic tree, and it's, it flows throughout the universe. But this is the nucleus of it all. And uh, the thing that I found out there was um, we as humans are being deceived. Our whole society is being controlled and blocked from this information on advanced life in the universe, from UFOs, history of UFOs, anything to do with entities not of this world. Most likely because um, if any entity were to arrive here of highest high morals, the first thing they would say is, right, your societies with this controlling and money system that you have and and the super rich getting super rich and owning airports trains planes whatever you want that's not right you know these sort of things cannot be owned and i tell you what they know that i think our elite of today know that that would be the first problem and it wouldn't surprise me if this has happened already 
whether it was with Eisenhower meeting in the desert with entities, whatever it is, this has happened before, and I bet you they know that this is the status quo. We've got to change our ways, and I think this is the reason they're shooting them out of the sky. It's a world protocol. Every single country has it. You shoot these unidentified objects in the sky. Why? Because they have the technology to be a threat, so therefore they, they need to be destroyed. So um, in this event, I... Um, I saw that if we don't change our ways, no more protection of our solar system. And, and by that I mean they've been staring uh, the uh, meteorites, uh, bolides, huge chunks of rock that should be hitting this, this Earth. Over the last 10,000 years, we haven't had one major impact. Why? Because they've been diverting them. And they've been protecting our civilization because we looked like we had hope. We're at the stage now where there's so much human suffering that the interference and intervening to block these things will stop unless we can show a sign of hope. And all we need to do to show a sign of hope is to show some major changes that we will make education free for every human being. There's quite a few things. I've actually listed them, but that, that is the easiest one that we could just show a bit of hope for. And if we can do that pretty shortly... I don't think we're going to be hit by the proverbial wormwood impact event in the biblical prophecies. So there is hope and there are things we can do, but will we do it? That's the question. Well, let's just, uh, if the powers that be are a small group and they have enslaved uh, all of us here on Earth and we want to ascend, but they have a mental programming for centuries and the hidden, as you call it in your book, their hidden records or the hidden knowledge is being kept from us because that's a way to control us. How can we escape from the shackles to let those who are willing to help know that we really want to ascend, but we're not being allowed by a significant minority, if you will? Yeah, yeah. There's an amazing thing in the human psyche, the human spirit. If you know who you are and where you come from, you will know where you're going. And by robbing humanity of who we are physically, which is our genetic origins, which are genes from, passed down from our ancestors that came from these star systems, just by knowing that, that's a huge change in the psyche of the human being. That's the one half. The second half is the spiritual knowing who you are and where you come from, from the cosmic tree which has been actually demonized. If you look in the biblical aspect of the Genesis text, there's the cosmic tree in Eden, and then there's the serpent, which is supposed to be the devil. They've, they've actually demonized the most critical part, the, the, the part that interacts with the human being, and they've demonized it. If you look at every ancient civilization, they all put the serpent of the cosmos as being sacred, every single one, but it's been demonized. Now, these silly things need to change. And um, just by humans knowing those two things, who we are and where we come from, both physical and spiritual, there will be an almost magical change through humanity. It will spread like a new, almost like a new fad, a new gimmick. Something silly like that will set off uh, a huge spiritual change. And incidentally, Wayne, the three questions that are the foundation of this show from day one are, who are we? Where, where do we come from and where are we going? So those are the three primary questions mm. that we like to try to search 
on this show all the time. But you yeah. mentioned the, the, the serpent. Is there a relationship between that and Quetzalcoatl? And I say this because of the Mexican flag. Those of you who may know has a, a serpent being uh, eaten by a, an eagle. And that's, that's when the, the signal to the natives to go to a place when they saw a, uh, a snake on top of a cactus being eaten by an eagle, that would mean that's where you're going to be established yourself. Is there a relationship between this and the snake you talk about? Funny you mentioned that. I've never thought of the two being tied in there. Definitely Quetzalcoatl, the, um, the deified um, entity in the heavens. In, in, the, in the sense, on the, for example, on the, um, the coffin lid of Pakal, it does mm-hmm. have a high probability because we have the spaceship-like uh, effect with the uh, Pakal uh, king flying it towards the heavens, right. and then Quetzalcoatl is shown at the top. That is most likely in the true essence as being part of the creation, the, the, the sacred serpent. But in the establishing of it with the eagle, that's something else. That's actually quite a, where the two come together. You know, the eagle is, is, um, is symbolized in the founding of any civilization. I found it in, in, in many different traditions. They seem to put the eagle, like the proverbial, the eagle has landed on the moon. That was no coincidence either. Mm-hmm. Choosing the name eagle um, is found in the American Indian civilization, um, and you'll see it in M's throughout the whole of uh, of the megalithic civilizations. I think the two together means founding, to land from be- from flying, flying from the heavens. Uh, that's probably the most simple symbology of it. True, absolutely. And, and by the way, we have no censorship whatsoever on this show. I know I've had guests before who have told me, you know, I go to a, I'm not going to mention the name, but a very large radio outfit out there and I was told not to talk about this or talk about that just feel free to talk about whatever you feel that you need to but your book obviously it has to be controversial otherwise you would not be seeing the the uh, issues you're facing the hidden records what is it all about it, you know, the, the book has been out since 2002, and, and I'm afraid in the United States we've had it going and then it gets cut down, had it going three or four times. Um, it's, it's simply this, this star origin message going from the ancient Egyptians through every civilization. There's at least 15 ancient star maps that I have identified simply by looking at the megalithic foundations, the megalithic monuments from the sky, the layout of the pyramids. There's a whole... 50 pyramid group in Egypt, you know, what, what is it all about? Simply look at it from the sky and you'll see one of the monuments is the ultimate monument. Now look at it in perspective of the surrounding monuments and compare that to the, the heavens. And every time it was the same pattern, the star that's near the Pleiades is, is uh, replicated on the ground as, as above, so below the old tradition. It's, it's a very sacred tradition in all megalithic cultures. They're showing where they came from on the ground, and they use this uh, unique monument. In Egypt, it was the obelisk. Um, on the Mars story, I mean, even a lost planet like the, the planet Mars has got remains on there of the, the biggest megalithic civilization ever, five times the size of our monuments at least, and they have the same pattern. So um, the whole book is, is basically taking you on a journey through all the civilizations and showing how everyone worships star visitors. Everyone thought the bird-headed god and, and the eagle being founded as a founding uh, symbolism was very important. They all had the same thing in that sense. They all um, spoke of the, the ships that fly and put wings onto things that, that, that fly. For example, uh, the entities could fly. They were angels. They had birds' wings. They put the wings on the disc that flies. 
And what do Egyptologists say or what do historians say? Oh, the Sumerians, the, the uh, Egyptians, they were saying the sun is flying, therefore, and it's a disk. You know, there's a little bit of discrepancy there. Of course, it is confusing. It did evolve into that, I must admit, for the last 2,000 years for sure. Um, it's, it's been sun worship. But before that, go back to the beginning. You'll see it was the disk that shone like the sun. Very confusing. It also shone like the sun. It was mixed up with the sun-like star. It was mixed up with our sun. So it's, it's a very complicated story. But when you see the, all the pictographic images and what the Egyptians and what the Sumerians are saying, it's pretty clear. If you go right back to the basics, take them verbatim, take them for what they what they're saying. Don't try and turn it into a religion or something. It's there. It's, it's, it's just nuts and bolts, you know? Right. And uh, in addition to the bio I read, I think it's important for the listening audience to know more about you. The two, I believe the two events that shaped you to, to start researching these subjects were your near-death experience and your mass or massive UFO sighting. Can you share with us more about those two incidents? Sure. Um, the first thing that happened was the, the UFO sighting. It was around about, hmm, I'm guessing, um, when I was in early, early teenage uh, period. It's, it's, it's amazing how blurry it is. I can only remember myself telling the story <laughs> more than I can remember the events. So that's pretty, pretty weird, and that happens with these sort of things. But um, I, I speak with my brother occasionally and my uh, family. They all remember it very well, and they remind me some of the details that I've forgotten. It was a group sighting that came into the city of Bulawayo, and uh, we were driving home on the one evening, and cars were just pulling off on the side of the road and pointing, pointing to uh, like a, the area of uh, sunset, and what was coming into the city looked like an aircraft. It had like the, the, the lights on, on the edge of a, like a big jet, like a big uh, jet airliner, and we're figuring that this thing's going to land. It looks like a a, a jetliner crash landing. You can see the lights on the wings. But then um, jetliners don't have lots of lights on their wings. They have one on each wing. And this V-shape mm. was actually a group of lights that were flying. And, uh, you know, driving home, we realized we'd seen something really not of this earth. It flew right over us, and then it got higher and higher and disappeared into the deep sky, and that was it. It was gone, you know, game over, and that was the end of the sighting. But in the newspaper the next day, it was seen something like 20 minutes later from the uh, time in Bulawayo, 20 minutes it took for that exact same, they call it the Lubbock Lights Formation. It's, it's a group of lights in a V-shape. And that was seen in South America. So we knew we'd seen something that is not of this earth. That was the first sort of, let's call it um, an, an, an understanding that, um, you know, we're not alone. UFOs exist and you've got that huge a level now in your in your research that these things are not a, a theory they exist because you've had the experience so i had that that very big advantage to know that this stuff's real and then of course in the near-death experience knowing that the spirit can exist out of the body seeing my body on the floor while they resuscitated me seeing detail that i recapped afterwards with the guy that resuscitated me in a little detail that the guy just shook his head and said there's no way you could have guessed that something proves to me and to him, um, that uh, the soul exists out of the body. And, of course, we both looked at each other and said, <laughs> there's a lot more to this because when I was out there, uh, you know, I went on this amazing journey and I actually was delirious for a couple of days just wanting to talk about it and discuss, you know, what went on and what went further. And um, mainly writing it down and keeping it personal in, in, in uh, my own journals, etc. 
and putting it together later and looking at looking for evidence of this in books and seeing that it was a common thing. The near-death experience is a very common thing. And um, what I'd seen at the end of the tunnel, I was allowed to document the whole end of that tunnel. And that was that cosmic tree. So um, I'm, I'm willing to say that every little bit of information I've got about these star maps is all downloaded from that that source. Call it the Akashic Records. That's the traditional name for the source of all knowledge, the tree of life. It's there, and um, it's, it's for our good reason that I was allowed to bring it back, and um, I'm still going at it uh, pretty intently at the moment. What circumstances led to you almost dying? Yeah, it was a motorcycle race. I used to do uh, motocross, and in that case, it was an enduro. that was around a very big country circuit that was 20 minutes to do one circuit through just wild bush, and um, I hit a train sleeper that was sticking in the ground. It was a, it was a boundary marker or something that was, was unnoticed and was supposed to be in a safe area of very thick grass. So it was not seen until I hit it, and I just uh, hit it at about 120 kilometers an hour, and uh, the bike landed on top of me, and my helmet pushed into my neck, and it was sitting on top of me, and, and it was I think I was just strangled. It, you know, it stopped me breathing. And the chap that saw me go down did a whole 20-minute circuit to come back to see. I was still in, you know, in the thick grass, nobody attending to me. Lucky he was a medic. He took my helmet off, saw that I was completely blue, and thought, uh-oh, maybe he's too late. But he, he managed to resuscitate me and get the ambulance and everything. So you know, that, uh, that experience was, was quite amazing because they were pumping my heart for another 20 minutes, and uh, I must have been out for quite a while. And when did you say, I need to start looking into these uh, hidden mysteries, hidden uh, records, information, hidden archaeology? Yeah, yeah. I think pretty much straight after it, I was um, keeping a lot of it to myself, but I was starting to take an interest in the subject and obsessing in UFOs, uh, getting books on it and going to libraries. And I just kept getting deeper and deeper into it. And, and once I'd made a few basic findings, and it was at the time Robert Baval launched that book called The Orion Mystery, um, he presented a interpretation for Giza, which I support 100%. That matches Orion's belt. Three stars, three pyramids, I agree 100%. But he presented a different pattern for the other pyramids and left out a lot of them too that were very, very ancient. And if this is real, it's got to include all the pyramids or it just doesn't work. And um, having a bit of interest in, in stars and having seen this perhaps from that life experience, um, I just saw the patterns. It just like laid up and... In my mind, uh, all the pyramids, I could just see all the constellations joined up. It was almost like a, a photographic image recognition, and, and that was where it started. And um, knowing the importance of it and realizing that, okay, I've got some important stuff now. This is what I'd experienced in that near-death experience. It must be a gift. You've got, to, you've got to produce it. It was an obsession to bring it forward and document it and uh, produce it. And th there it was. You know, that was where it started. You know, many people use the term alternative. You know, we have the mainstream media and you have alternative media. We are considered alternative or fringe media. And I think the same goes with your material, your book. It's called, uh, you know, considered a genre of alternative archaeology. Why can that be? If, if what you're researching is the truth, why do the powers that be continue to call it alternative? Yeah, you gotta you gotta ask. There's no doubt about it. There's something really strange that um, was said so long ago. The academia, 
um, ethics. If you just look at the simplicity of it, they take history and some of history that's written by previous scholars as, as being written in stone, that it's a science. You know, to take history like that is a big bluff because if you just take the simplicity of what was written on stone in those days, wasn't like it is today where it is, is, is like law and certain accuracy is needed when there's, for example, a war, who documents what. If you go back in history and look at every single war that was fought, I guarantee you each side changed the truth a little bit, just with wars. Now imagine what they, they did with the other bits and pieces. So history to me is more theoretical. And uh, they had started on this, this official denial of the star visitor thing right back in the early days at the time, I think even of the Egyptian kings, they wanted to keep these things encoded only for themselves. In other words, for example, the Egyptian king would, would create the, um, for example, the Genesis myth, where it's Geb and Shu and Nut being uh, deified as, as entities. And you see Nut being the feminine, the sacred feminine of the heavens, being a woman, the womb in the sky. You know, this is where the star of Ra is born. And the man was, was on the earth, the male obelisk monument that represents the, the male uh, deification, personification of the earth. And they put this all together in a very weird concoction and in a way that only they, the initiates, the chosen ones, can decipher it. Now, I found this in Hebrew tradition, for example, the Solomon, King Solomon Testament. It's all demonized and actually encoded so only the scholars could know what it is. They didn't want the general public to know. I think it stands to reason. If you want to fight a war and win a war, you need to tell your people that those people across the other border, there they're the ones that are not chosen. You go out and take them, take the women, children, take their gold, their wealth. And, you know, this has been going on with every country and every civilization, using humanity on the general basis, that not the kings, not the people of the elite, the high power, but the people, the underlings, were, were used to fight the, you know, to do the, the hard work and fight the wars. And I think this is still going on today. They um, don't want humanity to know everything. Otherwise, um, you know, we won't want to fight. We'd rather put down weapons and, and, and work our way through uh, making Earth into a paradise. And uh, it's all gone. It's, it needs to change or um, something terrible is going to happen. It needs to change or planet Earth is going to have to click on the reset or reboot button and uh, like a dog that has to shake its fleece, he may have to do that. But you mentioned raw. According to uh, Peter Joseph from the documentary Sidegeist, the word Israel is derived from three words, Ishtar, Ra, and Elohim. Do you agree with that? Gosh, yeah, that's, that's, that's quite an amazing interpretation. I'm not too sure about that, but I can guarantee one thing, that the, the names and the beginnings, the more you go back, the more the story becomes generally universal. Um, well, the word Elohim to start with, um, I've heard from a very, um, very controversial author, and I've taken this up with Hebrew specialists, and they get very emotional about it when you challenge it, of course, is Elohim is, is, is two syllables. It's Eloi and Him. And from the earliest spoken word, I'm not talking about the actual glyph itself, the, the letters that make Eloi and Him. I'm, I'm talking about when you speak the word Eloi. It actually can refer to people, not person, people, plural. And Him is the heavens. Put the two together, people from the heavens, you mm -hmm. don't get God. There's, there's, that is not the creator. That is not the creator of the universe. These are visitors that are angels, call them um, the gods of the Egyptians. These are actually visitors. And if you take the whole Genesis scenario, and this is a very, very sensitive issue, but it seems to be encoded and, and, 
and change that only the initiate, the scholar, would know that's chosen what it really means. Cain, Abel, and Adam and Eve, um, sorry, Adam, Eve, and Cain are actually the first family. Adam is actually the Hebrew word for humans. Eve is the Hebrew word for to give life. Cain is to give birth. Now you take a whole sentence in a row now, it reads as follows. And I'm not joking, this is a real feel, a real uh, interpretation. Those from above that came from the sky in their likeness and in their form were first established on earth. It doesn't mean created, it means brought forth. First established on earth in their domain to have life on this earth and to have children. Um, that's, an, that's an arrival. It's, it can't be anything more simple. It's not the first man and first female it's an arrival, and this is... Like the Anunnaki? Yeah, exactly that. The Anunnaki, same sort of entities. I go even one step further, the Nephilim um, in the biblical writings as well found humans, beautiful, interacted. There's been a lot of visitations in the ancient times from above because they're human, they're human lineage. You can't have... Um, okay, the, the, a lot of the people believe the Anunnaki are reptilian. There's this reptilian agenda. I can't comment on that, to be quite honest. I haven't had enough... Uh, findings or seen anything to do with the reptilian side. So from my side, I've seen only just records of human-like entities that breed with human-like entities. And, you know, you, you, you'd have to look at the biological aspects. It's most likely that way. Uh, the reptilian agenda, I'm, I'm not the person to comment on it because I haven't seen anything on that side yet. And also you mentioned the sacred, uh, the sacred feminine. Uh, you mentioned that in your, in your research frequently. We also frequently mention the divine feminine. Are we referring to the same? And, and what happened to the concept of the sacred feminine? It seems that many religions eradicated the importance of the feminine, of the women, and even consider women a threat. Is this why our world is the way it is today? War, greed, etc.? And male-dominated and even race-dominated, if you take the, 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 the deification of God, it was a Caucasian in a chair, man with a beard, you know. Um, it's, 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 it's a man's world, I'm afraid. It's, and women were, were treated very poorly in the past, and um, they even changed the laws to, to suit men, um, even if they were taught by these visitors that they, they were altered, they were all tainted by human hand. And yes, the sacred feminine, the sacred... Um, the woman, you, you, were, you were trying to separate the two. I think they're both the same. Um, from the Egyptian uh, tradition, it is very clear. This is simply just deification of the cosmos being uh, created. The woman gives birth, so feminine, more suitable for the stars, and they choose the, the other one as the male for the, the planet, the earth being um, seated with the heavens, where the heavens and the earth come together, and that has to be male and female to, to tell... Um, a encoded mythological story of beginnings. It was very romanticized, but um, it was just an encoded way of, of hiding the secret of the birth of the star of Ra from the womb of the sacred feminine. Now, these stars, there's actually a very complicated star pattern, and there's three sun-like stars in the area near near the um, Pleiades constellation, and it, it actually is um, a, a triangle pointing down when it rises on the east. Now, the East is very, very important when it was star um, viewing, star worshipping. On the horizon on the East, that's when they first appear as being born, like from the, the womb of the Earth or the male Earth um, being in contact with the female part of the heavens. It's, it's very sexual, very weird. But that was when, when it was the most sacred part. And this triangle pointed downwards. Now, if you take the monuments on the Earth, that's a triangle pointing upwards. 
put the two triangles over each other and you have this unification of triangles. You get the Star of David. And of course it is a star and the whole the whole iconology is all teaching about the, the star. It's the Bethlehem star. It's the um, star of the new Judas Codex that we've just uh, decoded. It's all there too. So um, this, the sacred feminine is a very important part. Now, Dan Brown never covered that in his books. And I bet my last bottom dollar, his next book is going to be the delivering of this truth or encoding it and covering it up completely. It's going to go one way or the other. I'm, I'm not too sure quite uh, at the moment. I bet you it's going to be the Solomon Key because Dan said that was his passion. That was his next book. And the Solomon Key is the ultimate cipher. It's another star map, and it's done in the most amazing, um, uh, they call it a parchment. It was a, a code on a parchment. It's, it's a big puzzle, and it's amazing. And this thing is going to deliver the same message. And the obelisks in different parts yeah. of the world, the Rome, at the Vatican, Washington, D.C., Egypt, mm-hmm. and many other places. Is it true that these monuments denote masculinity? Absolutely, and they, they mark us. They, um, they're the sacred what's uh, on the ground that matches what's above. And um, in Rome, in the place of the Roman Catholic Church, what are these Egyptian obelisks doing in the middle of it as being important markers? You just got to look at it from above. The whole of right. the Vatican, for example... Is, is a star map, and they've laid it all out. The seven hills of Rome were chosen because they uh, represent the seven sacred stars of the Pleiades. It's like the, the Hebrew menorah, seven candles on, a, on a, um, a seven candlesticks in a row with the sacred the seven lights of the sky that is near the Star of David. The, you know, all this has been encoded so carefully, it, it's hiding it from general public. The general common man was not allowed, this was forbidden information because it shows unification and sacred humanity. And that was just not allowed any time ever, and even up until today. But why? The question is, why do they want to block this information? Because if we knew that we are unified and we are one, we are coming from the same, it would unite us, not divide us. And division is what keeps the, let's say, the war profiteers going. Well, this is why I said it's such a silly, silly thing because the general consensus is humanity is, 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 is humane and we like these sort of things. We talk about you know, sacred humanity and not harming people and, and human ethics. But if you look at the way our laws work and how our trading works and, and, and uh, the law of commerce, it's all going against it like the old way and pillaging other neighbors for their, their, their resources, taking advantages of these weaker countries. And now even countries themselves are taking advantage of their own people for the sake of money, enslaving people. Even children in places like Pakistan and India, they're using children in factories now because we need the money. We need, this is how the world wants us to produce right. these goods and you know, it'll keep our country going in desperation. So, sadly, yes, it's all simple good things, but the basis of it, just a mechanism of knowing who we are and where we come from, if we could just break that little piece down with some media break and let people see these star maps, I guarantee you it's, all gonna, it's gonna be like, like a magic wand being woven, uh, being waved, <laughs> that word, uh, being waved, and suddenly um, humanity wakes up. You know, it's like coming out of a, a really long hypnotic uh, control that they'll see the simplicity of life and the gift of life, and that we should be living to enjoy our lives and not being enslaved to work so long for so little rewards so that the rich can get richer. I mean, if you look at this economy crunch, I saw the other day, and I was so appalled, 
we've we've had a lot of suffering. There's two billion starving people now. It's going into the three billion mark, and the middleman is is earning so much lower than he was, and taking a lot of strain through this economic crunch. But guess what? The top 100 in the Forbes list all got richer. Go figure. There are any more? I mean, really? Yep. Isn't that isn't that in our face? You know, what are we going to do about it? Even in the developed countries, uh, let's just put the, yeah. the United States as an example. We were a pyramid. Let's take uh, other countries, third world countries. There were inverted pyramids. But even now in the United States, the middle class is being pushed completely out of the way. And as you said, the elite has become richer even through these, well, let's call it a depression, folks. Let's stop calling it a recession. It's all fake money that we're using, but that's a different story. Um, the obelisk, once again, why is there an Egyptian obelisk, which I've heard was stolen from Egypt, in the Vatican? Yeah, um, they knew that the Egyptians had the, the secret. And of course, um, the founders of Rome um, would want to use that secret and, and, and encode it on the ground, make the ground uh, sacred by showing the, the, the secret of, of the star map. And if you look at where the basilica is uh, situated, the big piazza has the big chi row. It's a big uh, cross within a cross. And that is representation of the constellation of Orion. Remember Constantine said um, his, his passion for Christianity came at the time when he had an angelic intervention going out to fight a war. His soldiers saw it and he saw it. They were taught of something in the sky. And, of course, it's been romanticized, and this cross was blazing, but not the cross was blazing. What it showed its way to was a little blazing star. It was a sun-like fire star, yellow uh, spectrum in, in astronomy. That's the color of fire. And um, this whole Roman obelisk thing, um, it's not just in Rome. I'm, I think if you look at uh, other ancient civilizations, there's some lost civilizations that still mark the ground markers with obelisks. Take even uh, in Africa here, there's a place called Aksum in Ethiopia where the um, seven, sorry, there's 12, 12 churches carved out of the, uh, the, the rock. And um, in Ethiopia, there's this place uh, where they have these massive big obelisks all standing upright in a grouping. And they say the, um, the ark is buried near there. So um, these obelisks and this, this mythology is, is a founding sort of thing. It's, it's a style of marking something on the ground, and they choose, um, they choose the sacred masculine. And on a side note, you're one of the few guests who say that the Sphinx was originally a lion. What happened? Yeah. When was it that they changed it, and why do you think this happened? Yeah. Well, I have to credit two authors, uh, Robert Vival, Graham Hancock, came up with the, the Leo interpretation of the Sphinx in early days. Um, they had other ways to, to justify it. The most important thing being the side elevation of the Sphinx looks identical to the star constellation Leo. And it actually fits as a star map. And this is where I was lucky to make the next step and um, compare the whole layout of the pyramids to where the Sphinx was and measure the angle of the Sphinx against the angle of the three pyramids of Giza. And there's a 360 to 1 chance that that angle would be right. And I tell you what, it's, it's out by about half a degree. The Leo constellation in reference to these stars is the same line of, of, of intersection. And just that simple sort of thing proves that the, the, the Sphinx is, is speaking of its great secret. And what it's saying is, and this is quite amazing, and why it's only now is because we can look at it from above. We have the ability to have satellite images and view the whole thing from above. That's the only way it makes sense. And by doing so, the Sphinx is saying, you've seen the pyramids, 
as representing stars. Now, my secret lies in the most sacred monument, and it's not the Sphinx. It was the great obelisk that's missing in this star map. It was one in Memphis, the beginning of Egypt. It was a massive, big obelisk that had a gold capstone that took so much gold, I would imagine it would fill up half a room just with the gold that covered the capstone. And uh, that was its secret. That was the beginnings of the Sphinx telling its secret as a lion of Leo. Now, the next part of the information is the one I've got on the CNNI report is the um, tomb. It's of the tomb of Ramses V and Ramses IV. It's in, I think it's KV9 in the Valley of Kings. If you walk into that tomb right now, you'll see there's two interpretations of the Ra ship landing on the back of the Sphinx. One where it shows it in the traditional way, and one where it shows it right in the beginning with the founding of Ra, landing with his people, with a huge group of people, a contingent, going into the back of the Sphinx where it has the lion's head. And it's shown with both sides of the Sphinx. Now, this is weird because the Sphinx was so sacred that there, in any depiction it needed to show its left side and its right side. This is my interpretation, and I can see the emotion behind it. So it's looking like from the, the back part of the Sphinx, looking at the left side the one way quickly and looking at the right side. So it looks like a two-headed Sphinx, and we don't have a two-headed Sphinx. It's the left side and right side next to each other. And, of course, the ship of Ra on the back of it, but they're all going inside the back of a lion-headed Sphinx. And to me, that's, uh, that's the smoking gun of Egyptology right there, and the papyrus that shows what the ship really looked like. And that, that is a disc. It's got three legs, like a tripod holding it. It has a dome, and the dome is radiating colored light. There's no other way to interpret it. But who do you think did the change? Who, the, the change from lion to sphinx, and when? Oh, sure. This is going way back. They say the sphinx is something like 10,000 years old. If you look at the erosion that's on it, um, I think, um, uh, what's his name? Skoch, the uh, geologist, uh, I don't think of his first name. Anyway, it was, it was uh, a theory that was with Robert Bavall and Graham Hancock that this sphinx must be really old, older than 10,000 years, no doubt about it, because according to geologists, that was a time when the rain fell and the whole of that area was not a desert. Now think of the logic. If there was this great foundation civilization, would they choose to build in a desert? Absolutely not. So you've got to go right back to when it wasn't a desert. That's 10,000 years ago, the end of the Ice Age. And uh, I think if you um, put the whole story together, look at the age of the, um, the monument where it's really eroded, it must have been recarved again much later. And as far ago as one of the kings, I would even go back to about 4,500 years ago, it might have been carved, because it was renovated by Tutmosis. <laughs> and Tutmosis is, is almost 3,000 years ago. And, and he looked at it as being an aging, old, really de decrepit monument that he wanted to dig out the sand again. The whole sand had covered up that area. It was forgotten. And he, uh, he was told uh, by the Sphinx to, to, to dig it out. It was like he had this prophetic dream. And, um, and that's where the dream steel was, was uh, commended in, in the name of, of, of Tutmosis. And if you look at the dream steel, what do you see on the dream steel? The left side Sphinx and the right side Sphinx. So this duality of the, both sides of the Sphinx being depicted is very clear. And the main steel that's right between the legs of the Sphinx. So my theory is not too far-fetched. It's just using emotions of what the ancients thought they saw in the sky, what landed, who was in it. It were people that climbed out of this thing that shone like the sun. You know, you've got to look at them, at these folks emotionally telling a story that was so important because it's the same in every civilization. Same themes, 
it's not a fantasy. It must be real. And the purpose of putting it right there, and by the way, have you looked into latitude 19.47, which is where the pyramids of Giza uh, is, and uh, some other uh, natural, like uh, the volcanoes in Mexico, Popocatepetl, and uh, the, the, the pyramid there. Have you looked into this correlation of 19.5? I'm not sure on the 19.5 that much, and um, I must say I'm, I'm going to be a skeptic on this one, but um, if you go back 10,000 years ago, the North Pole was, was perhaps even in another, another position, so that would, would make it all different again. There's mm-hmm. high probability the North Pole was in the Hudson Bay, and um, an impact event that ended the Ice Age, um, I believe uh, I found the ground zero. I found a spot that shows what happened, and an impact event that would knock the axis off to where it is now. So um, I'm not too sure about the 19.5, but um, uh, I would say I'm, I'm more inclined to say that might be a coincidence. When I'm curious, when did you make your very first finding, and what was it? Yeah, um, wow. To put this exactly in position, it's like trying to uh, trying to say when I. You know what? These 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 images were way back before I could even put the book together. I was having um, well, let's call them very vivid visions as dreams early in the morning. I was seeing the pyramids. I was seeing Mars. I was seeing all kinds of weird things. So. To make it as a finding, when I put it this way, the first finding that I could prove was um, back in 79, sorry, sorry, 97, other way around, 1997, when Beval's book was out and I could see all the pyramids in, in a row. That was perhaps um, all 50 pyramids as a star map was the first part. That was in 97. And then it just progressed like almost literally within two years, I had found another five star maps. And it was an obsession just to keep going. So that's, that's pretty much when it started. So you think that is the ultimate purpose of the pyramids, a star map? That's half of it. The pyramids laid out represent what is in the sky. There's something that happens inside the pyramids, and that's a whole new story. And, of course, going back to your book and the fact that uh, you were denied publication, not only that distribu- distributors were changing, but what happened there? Why were you denied publication? Yeah. It was such an interesting story at first. I had a very good literary agent, and I had one of the biggest publishing houses in the U.K. hold the, the manuscript and get hold of my, my um, uh, literary agent saying, gosh, we've got £50,000 for you. This is all going to be fine. We need to get you ready with this. We'd like to have a bigger author being a part of this. And this was a bit of a touchy situation because, coincidentally, I just found another co-writer, my, my own partner, who could rewrite it in beautiful, flowing English. I'm not a very good English writer. I mean, I'm a researcher, not a writer. And they wanted to use a guy called Michael Bajant. <laughs> Michael Bajant's famous today, but at that time, his Holy Blood, Holy Grail book wasn't really even being put together. It was still early stages. And it was going to be shared and everything, and then Michael Bajant was too busy, and then I waited another year. Then there was, oh gosh, we need to change your manuscript. Um, what about taking out the Mars story and... Uh, what if you change your, your, um, your conclusion as it might be sun worship? Then I knew something was really going wrong with it. And this was waiting year after year after year. And at the end of the day, when it came down to somebody phoning me from a foreign country saying, hey, we're looking at your copy of your manuscript. It's got your name on it and your phone number. And um, we're just trying to piece this stuff together. 
And I said, hey, hey, well, you know, who are you? You know, what? Oh, this is the university, whatever. We've got we'd be part of a group that have you know, been given the stuff to look at. And I thought, jeepers, creepers, you know, how the heck can these folks be handing around my stuff and whether it was right. an or what? The story's going wild. And with, with scholars, the next thing, they're going to claim it as their own. And that was it. I just took it to a TV channel locally and I said, look, here's my crazy theory. You guys have a look at it. We put a story together in six months and it was aired on TV. And that was... Uh, before my books, uh, which is very frustrating. I had the book come out after the TV show, so I had no benefits of the advertising of you know people seeing that there was a story being put together. So that was that was strange, really strange. I've had other guests on the show that uh, have gone through similar stories where they finish the, the, the product, the book, and all of a sudden, and this is research, sometimes even decades of research, and they're told, well, we need you to change this or that. I understand that the publishers want to make it perhaps more appealing. But in your case, and in the case of the guests I'm referring to, is perhaps because there's certain information that the publishers don't want out because they fear that it could affect their business in its entirety. But we have to take one intermission. When we come back, I want you to tell me, because you've researched this, who built the pyramids? How did they build the pyramids? How many pyramids, pyramid civilizations are out there? But tell us how to get in touch with this great book and your work. Sure. Um, the, I believe in free information. A lot of this I've had to put on the internet. The, the basic findings are free on the internet. The hiddenrecords.com is another website, keyofsolomon.net, and the spiritual site is called oneism.org. So um, uh, we'll get to that after the break. I'll give you a bit more info on it. And this is one of those shows, folks, where you have to listen to perhaps more than once or twice because the information, at least to me, is flowing again and again. And it's, uh, it's news to me because this is not part of academia. You're not taught this in school or college. You have to go out there and research for yourself or have people like Wayne Herschel find it for you. This is Mel Fabregas. We'll be right back with Wayne Herschel. Don't go anywhere. Thank you very much for listening. We're going to talk more with our special guest in our members section. Head on over to our website, veritasshow.com. Click on subscribe and join us in the members area to tune in to the second part of this great show. We'll take a short break, listen to some music, and we'll be right back with more.
is Richard C. Hoagland, and you are listening to Veritas. 